It is with excitement that I get to share with you that the Leukaemia Foundation has developed a new resource. This resource is called the Online Support Service, where it provides a wealth of services to assist a person living with blood cancer throughout their patient journey. So whether you're a patient who has just been diagnosed, in treatment or in survivorship, this service provides access to targeted learning modules, a suite of amazing services and online programs. And you also have the ability to chat with an experienced blood cancer support coordinator at just one click. It gives people a personalised and intuitive way to learn about important topics, including what to expect beyond treatment. This service is simple to use and is filled with content curated by the Leukaemia Foundation for people with any type of blood cancer. It notably features a digital energy coach to help patients manage fatigue. So jump onto our website and look up our new and exciting product called the Online Blood Cancer Support Service. Hi, and welcome to the Leukemia Foundation's podcast, Talking Blood Cancer. My name is Kate Arkadiff, and my role at the Leukemia Foundation is a blood cancer support coordinator. We provide emotional and practical support to people living with blood cancer and their loved ones. Our support is offered throughout the many different stages of a blood cancer journey. While listening to this podcast, we will share the stories of people we have connected with who have faced blood cancer so that you, our listeners, can gain insight, find purpose and take inspiration. The Leukaemia Foundation acknowledges the traditional owners of the country throughout Australia and recognises their continuing connection to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. This story may contain content that some listeners may find difficult and challenging. We encourage anyone listening to take care of their own mental health and well-being. The purpose of this podcast is to share the real-life stories of people living with a blood cancer, and any discussion of medical treatments is not an endorsement. We encourage you to seek the advice from your treatment team if you have any questions regarding your diagnosis, side effects, or treatment. If you would like to talk to someone or even if you would like more information on our services or on today's episode, please feel free to contact 1-800-620-420 and someone will be able to connect you with your local blood cancer support coordinator. So let's get into today's episode. Today here on Talking Blood Cancer, you are going to hear the story of Sophie Patnacroft Gray. It was August 2019 and Sophie was just 29 years old. Sophie had recently moved from the UK to Adelaide, where she was working and planning on exploring more of Australia. When some unrelated test results showed that she had acute myeloid leukaemia. Vanessa Hardy, one of our blood cancer support coordinators, speaks to Sophie about her incredible journey. Welcome, Sophie. To start with, what was happening with you when you were first diagnosed? Sure. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, So I was first diagnosed on the 1st of August, 2019. And at that time, 
I had just not long been in Australia. I was living in the UK before and I had just moved over um, to Adelaide in January of that year. Um, and I was working um, and planning to travel. And so it was a complete surprise to me to be diagnosed um, with leukemia with a blood cancer. Um, I'd actually gone into the doctor's for something else um, and the doctor advised doing a routine blood test because I hadn't really been to the doctors um, here before so we did a full blood count and the results came back a little bit off so they advised to come back and retest in about four weeks time which I did in those four weeks. I went back over to the UK, went to a friend's wedding, caught up with my friends and family. And whilst I was over there, I thought that I was feeling really tired, that I was really fatigued, but I just put it down to the fact that uh, it was jet lag. Yeah, I didn't really think too much into it. So when I got back to Australia and I redid the blood test and they said that those results were a little bit off, I thought that it would just be maybe I'd picked up a bug on the plane or something like that. Um, when I got a phone call from the hematology center at Flinders hospital here in Adelaide, they expressed how serious it was that I needed to come into the emergency room straight away. Um, I told them that I was at work, that I couldn't, I couldn't do that. I was at work. And they said, do you want me to speak to your manager? You need to get here immediately. Um, so I said, no, wow. that's, that's all right. I can, I can speak to them. Um, and then the next 24, 48 hours, I suppose, was just completely surreal for me, really. I um, went to emergency and, yeah, the, when, when I was speaking to the doctors, I was starting to get a bit more concerned about how worried that they seemed to be. They were asking mm. me if I'd worked around any chemicals or you know, what my yeah. history was. And I'm sort of thinking, no, I've, I was working in an office for years in the UK and now I'm working in hospitality. And so it just seemed really bizarre to me. And I just remember thinking, oh, wow, you know, the doctors must be so thorough here in Australia. It must just be, <laughs> and let's just be, you know, what they're like here. They're, yep. You know, they're just so thorough but um I was booked in to have a bone marrow biopsy the next morning and was told that by the next evening the results would show whether it was leukemia or if it was something else um but they seemed quite set that there weren't really a lot of other explanations for my blood work at the time and then yeah the following evening probably about five or six o'clock I was told that I had acute myeloid leukemia that they weren't completely sure what the treatment plan would involve but it would involve chemotherapy my first question after that was will I lose my hair um mm. to which the doctor kind of responded that I probably had more pressing things to be worried about at that time I didn't really fully understand the seriousness of the diagnosis and of course losing my hair in comparison to questioning my mortality was was one of the lesser things that I did have to worry about um but 
in that moment of, of receiving that no- news, it just felt very surreal that I suppose I was trying to grab a hold onto any uh, visual markers mm. or visual things of what the future might look like for me. Um, and losing hair is something that you have seen, that you can relate that to cancer yes. or leukaemia. Or, yeah. Yeah, losing your hair is something that everybody would go to that as you yeah. said, a visual marker, like, oh. I'm exactly, exactly. And when I was in the hospital, when I did start losing my hair, I was just thinking, right, now, now I really look sick. Like, now, now this mm. has really happened. Because I'd gone from, with my friends at my friend's wedding, literally two weeks before, dancing the night away. I'd just flown All internationally. Yeah, I was catching up with my friends um, in the UK. We were going, yeah, going to gigs, seeing family and just doing everything like a normal 29-year-old person would be doing to then to be told that my bone marrow is is failing, it's not producing mm. the right blood for my body was just such a complete shock. I couldn't believe it. And even going from my place of work straight into the hospital and then suddenly it was a whole switch of life. Suddenly I, I was a sick person to be treated, that I had this disease. Mm. That was a real, really hard thing for me to go through. And, and even later on during my treatment to see that my friends and peers of my age were able to carry on with their lives and it was like my life had been put on hold Yes, And I had to take this year or so out to go through treatment, to go through the stem cell transplant whilst watching my friends have fun, have babies, get married, go on holidays and do all of the things that you expect to be doing when you're, when you're 29 to into, well, I've just got to try and survive it was a real big shock to go through that. Such a huge change, mm. and you and you weren't in in the country with your friends as well. You're in a yeah, exactly. Um, so I was very lucky to have a good set of friends um, and people here that became like my family. And that my mum mm. came over from the UK um, to be with me through treatment. Um, so I feel like those people definitely got me through some of those times. And you really. Mm. Um, do figure out who you can rely on during that and even my friends in the UK um, I was just inundated with with messages and phone calls and FaceTimes and gifts and cards um, pretty much every day from from people back at home so I know that I was very supported even from across the globe so I think that really helped in my recovery and dealing with what I was going through as well with the diagnosis. And were you originally just travelling here? Were you travelling on a, a, a holiday or a, a yeah, work holiday? Yeah, I had decided to come over here to live with my partner who's Australian. Um, ah. Yep, so he is from Adelaide. So this was kind of the start of our new life together and it was – yeah, I suppose even more so a complete shock. We had mm. just bought a Toyota Coaster bus that we were converting to travel oh. around Australia in. So that was what our plans were going towards at that time. Um, and, of course, cancer is never on anyone's radar, really. 
No. But it's, but yeah, that was a huge shock and a huge change, um, yeah, to go through, yeah. Wow. So what? So you mentioned you had lots of support. So who were your key people? Obviously your your boyfriend. Yeah. Your mum came over. Yeah, exactly. Particularly um, my boyfriend's family were really great through that time, offering a place to stay, offering support, um, and really I suppose that kind of wider community as well. Um, I had so many different messages from people, some people that I hadn't spoken to in years, just wishing me all the best. And I think that's perhaps one of the most beautiful things about social media is that is it can be in some aspects to be able to connect to different people and people from other sides of the world and put people in touch with other people um is a big thing and especially I'm quite active on Instagram and I really found a lot of people all around the world that were going through similar things going through stem cell transplants um in different places in Europe in the states and we were all kind of following each other's journeys and providing each other with support and having that like-minded mentality and knowing what you're going through that was truly a really big support for me as well, um, as, as well as my friends and, and people that were here that I could see face to face. That was something that came out of this whole journey, I suppose, that I wasn't really expecting to get. And to have that kind of, yeah, a cancer community, as it were, is something mm. that really helped because as much as your friends and family want to try and understand sometimes unless you've been there it's very hard to relate Mm. to exactly how you feel through chemo or or how you feel trying to establish yourself in a world where your belonging in it isn't quite a given anymore that Mm. you've been told that you know if you don't have treatment you will die and even if you do have treatment you might not live so you're not really given very many options. And that was something that was incredibly hard for me to get around to, to try and deal with what life looks like in the future when your whole world has been shaken, when you don't know if you're going to be around for five years, 10 years, 20 years, breaks all that down. Um, Mm. So yeah, the other supports, um, yeah, my closest friends here in Australia were just absolutely incredible. Um, my friend Anna was a bit of a godsend and was just able to really be there. And I think the key thing that I say to people, friends of mine that contact me and say that their loved one has been diagnosed with cancer is one of the best things that you can do is just to be there for someone and not necessarily try and make things better and offer a positive spin on things, but to just listen and to just hold that space for them. Even if Mm. you don't know what to say, saying, I really don't know what to say, 
but I'm really sorry that and you're isn't going that through so this. hard for people. Yeah, people find it so hard to sit in that space, and uh, and we do online support groups and the same thing. Even us as facilitators find it hard to sit in the silence when people are having a, a moment and don't know what to say, and yeah. then yeah, it's uh, people and as carers and as loved ones, people want to fix that's the it. problem. That's and it. yeah, that's that. That's a natural human go-to. I want to fix you. Um, I'm going to look into all of this stuff, and you know, we'll, we'll get through it together. But all you need them to do, as you said, is is to be there and to yeah, be the listening ear, or or just for you to have a rant and be able to yeah, get it off your chest and yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think the other thing too, and. And this is what my friend Anna particularly just really personified is just being able to just do things. So it took a huge weight off of my mind um, when someone, you, you might say, oh, I need to organize such and such or I need to get this. And for someone to go, don't worry, I've got it. Like I've organized yeah. it mm-hmm. because you feel like you have so many things to think about and so many things to organize and also you're going through an immense stress, um, mm. let alone any of the, of the physical things that are happening through chemotherapy, that to have someone to be able to just deal with those things rather than the typical, hey, let me know what I can do to help, which is lovely, but then it puts the burden back on the person that is going through the treatment or that needs the help because then now they've got to think of something that, they can give you to do so yeah I mean just making food and bringing it around not saying let me know if you need anything or yep absolutely little things ticking off that list yeah yeah little things like that just really really truly made made a difference yeah all those Mm. all those things um but yeah it's it's incredibly hard um I can imagine to be a caregiver and see your loved one mm. going through that and not being able to just take their pain away. Yes, it's a different stress, isn't it, for the carers? Because that, that as a patient, as you said, you have all of the, you have so much to do and you have so much in front of you in terms of treatment and um, the step-by-step, okay, well, today's chemo and tomorrow or next week, this is how I might be feeling and, and you know the trajectory of, of the day by day, whereas for the carer, I think, yeah, they see all of it happening and, and they're like, oh, I, I wish I could fix it, but I can't. Yeah. So what can I say to make you feel better? Yeah. And, yeah, it's just, it's really hard. Yeah, it is. It is. It's a really, yeah, it's a difficult space to be in for all people involved. Mm. It's good that you were able to access. And I think also when you said you were um, on Instagram and, and found a lot of other people going through the same journey, I think that's really important because you can speak to them in a different way than you speak to your family. Yeah. And you can kind of get that, oh, well, they know exactly how it feels after your first round of chemo or, or yeah. stem cell transplant. Exactly, exactly. Mm. And I think looking back now for a lot of that time, I did kind of put a bit of a brave face on things Um, Mm -hmm. and it's quite hard to have some difficult conversations with people that Mm. know you and love you. Um, It's, you know, those things that you're thinking about, it's hard to 
bring up and you don't want to upset the people around you either. Um, so I was also very lucky to have a psychologist arranged through the Royal Adelaide Hospital that came and visited me whilst I was undergoing treatment as an inpatient, both through my initial chemo, my induction chemotherapy and my stem cell transplant. Um, and so I saw her for quite a while afterwards. And I think that was another thing that was so beneficial in coming to terms with what was happening and being able to move through that space and realizing what I had already achieved, what, mm. what I wanted to do and living in that space after cancer treatment and yes. going through recovery. And that's another thing that I would really recommend for people, even if you're not too much of a talker, but it is surprising the benefits that can happen through just talk therapy and mm -hmm. having someone that's also not attached to you or, or involved um, that you are able to discuss these things with is, is really, really good. And I think that really helped and maybe helped me process the different, the different, bits of the whole journey really that's great advice and I, and I think having that person that's not family um because you can say things and, and you, I think we all know with our families what kind of response we'll get to certain things that we say so we, we may not say it or we may hide it yeah whereas with a professional you can go blah and say this is how I'm feeling and this is where I want to be or and for them then to give the feedback that look look how much you've done and look where you're at um you know, keeps boosting you during that yeah. because the stem cell transplant process, all as you know, is so huge and so long. Yeah. Um, you need somebody kind of bouncing you through yeah, the exactly. tough times. And I think for me, I was going back and looking at where I was pre-cancer and that I mm. wanted to get back to that point. And that's what I was really trying to get back to. And when you've lost 10 kilos in a very short amount of time mm -hmm. that you're losing a kilo a day and um you know amongst all the other things that you go through in such an intense chemotherapy regime that for me to keep getting back to what I was before I was diagnosed just seemed like it was getting further and further away but to be able to discuss that with um my psychologist and be like okay but let's go, what have you gone from? So what was last week to this week? What was last mm -hmm. month to this month? And really establishing to use a really overused phrase sometimes, the new normal, but it is a, yes. it is a phrase that I really resonate with because I don't think that I ever got back to the person that I was before cancer treatment, but I think I changed into someone else and that person is who I relate to now. And who I feel most aligned to. So going through the whole cancer journey has definitely changed who I am as a person. But it's into a better version of myself. Mm -hmm. But I kind of had to shed that skin almost and start again. Which is why I love the phrase of a, a rebirth day on your stem cell birthday. Because I yes. feel like that's what it has been for me. 
That is that will resonate with so many listeners because that's something that so many people bring up that you that you're always and the new normal we do use it too often but it's a new normal in the entire world at the moment with COVID and and we're all kind of experiencing a new normal but the the that kind of um, plan of getting back to how you were at the beginning which you never really do because as you said you you, you just change into a new person but then. What do you want to get to and what do you want to become, which is probably where you're sitting now in terms yeah. of um, at the at the other end. So, yeah, it's so that's such a common yeah. conversation that we have. Yeah, mm. yeah, it's, yeah, it was good to, to really take the time to think about what my values were and how I wanted to live. Mm. Um, and I don't think that I would have fully embodied that as much as I do now if I hadn't have had to face those big questions to, to face my mortality of, okay, yes. well, I'm going to have this stem cell transplant, but there's only X amount of chance that I will live for five years. So how do I make those five years the best five years that I can? I didn't mm. want to be wasting any time anymore. Um, and that was something that I was able to work through with my psychologist mm. at the RA as well. Um, yeah. That's really good. And how do you cope with, um, do you find that fatigue is an ongoing issue? We hear from lots of people that fatigue is, is you know, you never get back to the, the kind of energy levels that you used to have and, and fatigue is an ongoing issue. How do you yeah, cope with that? Yeah, I definitely resonate with that. Um, I would say for the first 12 months after transplant, it was a, it was a huge struggle for me. And I really felt at times like I just wouldn't be able to, yeah, to, to get back to how I was and to be living a relatively normal life for a, mm. for a woman in their early thirties. I suppose the real, the real difference came probably from the year to the two year mark or maybe in the 18 months I'm coming up almost to two years in, in October um, but in August it will be two years since I was diagnosed and really just in the last couple of months even of just building and building upon my stamina and my um, my exercise my energy levels have really improved and the two things that were most beneficial for me through that was yoga and um, hiking and walking outside. And I found gradually, at first it was really difficult and, you know, I was knackered afterwards, but gradually just building on that and thinking, okay, well, last week I could, you know, I just walked this much and then I rested, but now I'm able to go a little bit further. Um and just working as well with my yoga practice, and I now teach yoga, just being able to build on what I was doing the time before and, and just keep going with it. It is a really hard thing to go through and still now if I have some really active and busy days, I know that the next few days I'm going to have to just have some rest time. Um, I'm really prioritizing that and I found that tricky too because I really wanted to just do all of the things once I got out of hospital yes um, I wanted to see everyone and I wanted to do this and go to the beach and I had to just take a step back and say no my recovery and myself are the most important things right now so I'm almost gonna have 
a date with myself where I might have a few hours just to have a cup of tea. I'm going to sit down. I might read my book. I might put on a series and just have a bit of a a rest where I'm not really actively doing much. Um, Even talking to people and and socialising, I found so draining for the first year, first year and a half, um, because it was that, that brain work. And I found that to be a real lasting side effect as well, um, that I felt like my brain wasn't as sharp and I couldn't quite think of what I wanted to say and to converse with people and chat with people was a real big um, energy thing for me. Um, I'm pleased to say now over time that has gotten better. I did a lot of brain games on that I played on my phone. Oh, well um, done. <laughs> yeah, and and just lots of things, you know, just talking to people and just getting back out into life a little bit more helped as well. But it's it's a long rehab and it's a long mm. road to recovery and yeah, it's just a a huge long thing to to go through and to have taken from your life and the trajectory of what you had planned. Absolutely. And uh, every, people speak of um, chemo brain, which it sounds like that's that's uh, where you yeah. need that brain training back again. Yeah. Forgetfulness and, and yeah, and just exhaustion really. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you said about yoga uh, teaching. So is that your new – did you return to work as a yoga teacher or that was that a new on the side? for me. Yep. <laughs> so um, on my first rebirth day um, mm-hmm. last year, I spent that doing my yoga teacher training up on the East Coast. Um, and it was something that I had wanted to do, my yoga teacher training, for – probably about four or five years wow. and I just never quite got around to do it and I, I could never really find the time or justify the expense but it was something that was on my radar for a long period of time and then I finally just thought hey like now is the time there is no time like the present I should just go and do it and it was shortly after South Australia had opened the borders to New South Wales so um. I thought, well, yeah, let's just go and do it. Um, So I did that. Absolutely loved it. Came back to South Australia and then just started teaching at the beginning of this year. And now, yeah, I'm teaching lots of different yoga classes around, but the thing that I really want to specialize in and move towards, whether that's in person or online, is offering cancer, um, sorry, offering yoga for people going through cancer treatment and after cancer recovery, because I've seen for myself the benefits that this practice can have, not only Mm. for your body and your physical rehab, but for the mind and the ability to sit and be still with your body and your mind after treatment, particularly when it almost feels like your, your body has kind of been taken away from you a little bit. You have that Mm. mistrust um, that something in your body has gone a little bit wrong and going through hospital treatment and and care, you know, things are, are done to your body for, for your good, but you kind of just have to let it happen. You have so, no control. Exactly, yeah. I felt this huge disconnect between those areas of my life and yoga 
and mindfulness practice just really helped me plug all those in together. So that's something that I'm really passionate about. I'm really wanting to help other people going through a similar thing or a cancer diagnosis that I went through. Fantastic. That sounds amazing. And you're right, yoga is such a um, – it's, it, it's so good for the body and the mind, so, so it yeah, yeah. can be only beneficial for people. Now, I did hear as well that you were training to hike the Heisen Trail. Yes. Can you tell us a little bit about <laughs> that? <laughs> yes. So, like I said at the beginning um, and, and going through my, my recovery – I started hiking and, you know, it's something that I'd never even really done before. Like Mm. there have been people that say to me, oh, you must have walked this or that trail or all these great hikes in the UK. And I'm like, no, I didn't really do it there. It was only after cancer treatment that I felt so great being outside um, and being in the fresh air and in nature. And we're very lucky here around Adelaide and in South Australia to have mm-hmm. so many fantastic hikes and walking trails. So I s- started building on that and I started doing sections of the Heisen Trail between um, Cape Jarvis and Victor Harbour, so just down south. Um, and one day I just thought, oh, this has been great to do all these little bits together, but it would be cool just to do the whole thing. And then I kind of sat with it for a while and I also really wanted to do some fundraising for the Leukemia Foundation. And so I had a brainwave to put the two together and decide to hike the whole Heisen Trail, which is 1,200 kilometres. I did Google that the other day. It's crazy. (laughs) It's quite a long way. Yeah, yeah. Um, yep. So do that as a through hike, leaving at the end of August. And I should be back around the end of October, which will coincide with my two year stem cell, um, birthday, my rebirth day. And I'm hoping to raise funds for the leukemia foundation and also raise awareness for the stem cell donor registry, um, is another thing that I'm very passionate about because, of course, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for my donor who is somewhere in Australia. Wow. Yeah, so that's the plan. So (laughs) there's been a lot of training um, that has gone into it. I, If I need to take more rest days, obviously dealing with the fatigue, um, then I factored that into my, my schedule um and yeah I'll just be doing a big walk for about 60 days um and will you have people going along with you um I'm gonna do most of it by myself but I Mm -hmm. have a few friends that will come and do some sections with me um and provide some support and yeah and hopefully some snacks as well (laughs) (laughs) Wow, well, that's that's such a great thing to look forward to and and to achieve as well, and and to achieve in time for your for your rebirth day. Yeah, yeah. I just wanted to make sure that I was really celebrating the progress that I've made um, each year, and I just I guess really just celebrating life. 
um, mm. celebrating the ability that I have to be able to do these things and that I have been able to make that recovery from my stem cell transplant as well. I know a lot of people um, can have a lot of different complications mm. afterwards. So I really wanted to use what I can to raise funds for the Leukemia Foundation and to really do this for the other people going through blood cancer that perhaps haven't made it or haven't been able to have a, a full recovery. Mm. Um, I think everyone that goes through a blood cancer or, or, you know, really any cancer diagnosis, it's such a huge thing to, to go through. And I just want to honor all of those people on the walk that, that I do. And on that, yeah, in the hard times, that is mm -hmm. who I'm going to be thinking of. Um, and yeah, just going forward and using that strength that I know, all of the cancer survivors and people that have gone through cancer have to really push me on to, to keep going. And I think the strength of, of getting through a transplant and getting out the other end of those hard days, I'm sure that that will carry you as well. That's it. That's such and hard work. That is a true thing that whenever something does come up that might be a little bit difficult, I think, well... <laughs> I'm not back through, there. <laughs> got through a stem cell transplant this can't be too bad. So yeah, it has definitely uh, changed my perception on things. That's for sure. Well done you. You're very positive. It's, it's beautiful to hear. Thank you. That brings us to the end of this episode today. We hope that you've found it helpful in some way. And if you would like more information on our services or today's episode, please feel free to call 1-800-620-420 and someone will be able to connect you with your local blood cancer support coordinator. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm Kate Arkadiff and you've been listening to the Leukemia Foundation's podcast, Talking Blood Cancer.